Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to We Dig Metal Evolution, a special Let It Roll Maxi series discussing Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution documentary series, hosted by Nate Wilcox with Eugene S. Robinson of the art punk band Oxbow and entertainment lawyer Alexi Alb. Let It Roll is the insanely ambitious musical history podcast. We've covered the early history of rock and roll, country music in the 20th century, the rise of hip-hop, disco, and electronic dance music, and now heavy metal. Stay tuned for our histories of Broadway, opera, punk rock, jazz, blues, and gospel. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Today, Nate, Eugene, and Alexi close the series with a discussion of what Sam Dunn calls extreme metal, including grindcore, death metal, and black metal. Email us at letterrollpodcast at gmail.com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and we're back again with Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson to attempt to conclude our discussion of Sam Dunn's Metal Evolution series. The 12th episode was not part of the original series and was crowdfunded and independently released online later. After the series was over, the final episode is Extreme Metal. It covers European thrash, it covers death metal and grindcore, and black metal. It doesn't cover doom metal, doesn't cover metalcore, doesn't cover deathcore, which is a a late addition. Anyway... um, as I say, we've been kind of stumbling to the finish here, and I, I've we've taken a pause, and I've had some thoughts. But first, my friends have promised some mea culpas about new metal. Alexi, you want to go first and warm it up because Eugene's a little bit more. Now, when we were talking How- about Rage Against the Machine, Eugene makes the rock critic mistake, my absolute pet peeve of yeah. No, 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 was- focus on Alexi. You okay. don't want me to talk, then focus on Alexi. He has to like shit me. on you to focus have, on me. I have to introduce <laughs> this hold, hold, hold on, Hold on a second. I have to, I have to make a note here. Eugene's putting his snitch jacket on. Eugene Snitch Robinson. Anyway, Eugene was trashing Rage Against the Machine because he, as a professional rock critic, got a free copy that he listened to once, didn't like it, 
And and that was into that. And Alexi sat there and, and and didn't say anything and reveals to me weeks later that who's one of your favorite bands? It was Rage Against the Machine at the time. I did not like them when I first heard them, but what spoke to me, it's kind of funny. I think what, what, what goes on is when we're watching different genres of metal and different genres of music, hip hop, like, you know, for the, for the hip hop evolution show that we were doing, it's what is speaking to you, right? What, what, what is it about the music and the times that are speaking to you? And for me, Rage Against the Machine spoke to me because that was the time in my life I was super duper political and so music I listened to had to have some kind of political undercurrent to it, if not direct directly so the fact that they were talking about certain kinds of things and certain kind of dynamics like it really spoke to me that being said going back and listening to it, it was so much spoke to me that when i my first introduction even though i grew up in washington dc even though my brother went to high school with the guys from minor threat i had not listened to any minor threat Unless until I listened to Rage Against the Machine, their cover of In My Eyes, and then I heard Minor Threat, and I was like, "What is this? It's not as it's not as like in your face." And then years later, when I got away from Rage Against the Machine and listened to Minor Threat, I was like, "Okay, let me listen to Rage Against." Like, why is this guy shouting at me? <laughs> so it's a different stage in my life. So again, like I was a fan, but I did not have the background with Bad Brains that Eugene had. So when he heard Rage Against the Machine, it was, you know, kind of it was jacking something that he had liked to listen to back in the day. Whereas I didn't have that background. One melody line that was his accusation. Right, but still, but sometimes that's enough. Sometimes it's enough. So that's the thing. I mean, so big money waters fan, you could dismiss. Yeah, you know the dreads, the stage movement. It was very highly, highly derivative. But you know what I like? But everything. What Alexi did right there was like, I okay, I was wrong about the jaywalking. Did I mention the fact that I murdered a guy? That's what he just did. <laughs> he outed himself in a completely I'm not even gonna way, get it. And then, you know, but whatever. I'm not here to talk about yeah, I'm, not... I'm not here to bury Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, yeah. Because you already did that whole... in another show. <laughs> my, my whole point with that was just I think that the, the people who pay money for the records and, and – listen to it with their friends and argue about this stuff and have to hear it around their friends when they don't want to. They're the people who really know. I mean, the verdict on music to me isn't made until the next generation of musicians pops up and we can hear what they're influenced by. And then you're like, Oh, well that probably was pretty important. But Eugene had a mea culpa too, because somebody suddenly is more open to new metal than he was when he taped our episode. What? No, you use the word new metal. You need to be very specific about what we're talking That's about. That's right. Because, because I had an epiphany on two acts specifically, which you should name. You knew metal. That's a lot. People think, well, Eugene's gone soft. Two acts specifically. And those two acts were? Limp Biscuit was one. That's one. And I, I don't remember what the other one was. What was the other one? Corn. corn. I like corn. Like that yeah. kid. I like corn. The thing is, I always kind of like corn. Anyway, I never had anything against him. I like their... their ambiance the art thing the schoolyard the the, the uh, you know jonathan whatever the guy's name is the lead singer. yeah Davis, i liked his lyrical day i general in general like them but when they got uh, affiance to limp biscuit who at this point i only knew through uh through uh, 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 uh gossip columns and this you know Durst yeah. was just one of these guys it was it, uh, un- unfortunately i found my cart before well 
I found their cart before uh, their horse. Uh, let's see, the horse behind their cart. So it was like, ah, man, I, you know, the, you know, and the carrot up your ass. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah, exactly, <laughs> of course. When you give the show, and you and and you know, there's a guy who I've been arguing with for a long time now, who I do jujitsu with, and he's like, why do you give a shit about authenticity? Why does it even, how could that possibly make a difference regarding the very specific sounds that go into your ears? How is that possible? Like, you know, and I go, hmm, well, that's a real good question. Because if I walk into a store and they're playing something, a lot of times I go, wow, who is that? And they'll say, as happens a lot, strangely, recently, they'll say, my chemical romance. I go, oh my God, really? I thought those guys suck. Well, they don't suck. Every time I go into a store and they're playing something, I go, who is that? Guess who it is? My Chemical Romance. I unfairly judge him. I hated the yep. name. I had it. But this is all part of the package show, yep. right? Limp Biscuit is still a fucking terrible name. It's a terribly stupid name. And I don't say they're incredibly bright guys, but what I learned from the thing is uh, that uh, and who was the band where the guy said, he said, this is war. When we when we go out and play with a drummer. That is that was Slipknot. Slipknot was another another band. I was like, I just dismiss these guys, you know, because yep. it's not music designed for me. It's designed for like fundamentally fifteen year olds. But at, when I discovered Lit Judas Priest, that was also music for fifteen years yep. old, fifteen year olds, and it made a big difference in my life. So you know, I'm not, it's not like I started listening to Limp Biscuit or Corn or uh, Slipknot. But at this point now, in casual conversations, you will not find me slagging them as I so comfortably did, you know, six months ago. Or six weeks ago. You know, I mean, the, the reality of it is, look, you know that there's a shorthand, right? That, and you know if you've been, you can't pay attention to everything that you, you know, lazy journalists do it and then lazy fans of music do it who are affected by journalists. So what do they sound like? That's kind of like early Sabbath, but mixed with Stone and Rock. And that, that may be enough for some people. They will not buy a ticket to a show. They might not buy a record, you know, but when they see that patch on somebody's jacket, they'll go, and somebody goes, oh, I've never heard of that. Oh, it's like Stone and Rock, the Sabbath, and that's it. That's it. You know, it's the rare fan that's like, fuck it, I'm going to, I'm going to, and it's so easy to do now. In my day, I had to go, sorry, on my day speech, I had to go to a record store. I had to weather an asshole guy behind the counter. goes, oh. Yep. That's such yes. Buy, you buy. I yeah. just now in the privacy, I can just type it yep. in and it comes up and I can listen. So laziness is 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 the crime here, and I yeah, and I, I blame it on me. Well, I, I'm I'm willing to take the hit, and and it's also that's a true thing, and I think the genres are much more important when people had to buy their own music, and your access to it was pretty limited. There might be bands. I mean, there were tons of bands that I was cool with that I might've seen live, but I never got around to buying their CDs or I never had a roommate who had the tape or whatever. So, yep. you know, there, there was tons of Voivod was one, you know, I'd heard about yep. him, yep. but I never got, well, that's how him. I heard about rage against the machine. Like I was in law school and a friend of mine said, Oh, have you listened to this? He's like, I think you'd like this Alexia. I was like, what? And then I looked at, it, I was like, huh? And I listened, I was like, that's okay. If I listened to it again, I was like, Oh, but like you said, it's that personal connection, devoid of the marketing and the fan base. Alexi pulled, pushed away his glass of champagne as he sat there and goes, oh, I must listen to this. Why would this guy engulf himself in flames when life is so wonderful? I don't understand it. And it might infect my mind. The extreme metal thing, and I think my issue with the series, and no disrespect to Sam Dunn, I, he's a massive fan. I think he's done good work here. He's built 
a pretty good framework for metal. The problem is I want to argue that metal dies with death metal in the early nineties, that, that there was essentially this arms race to be the most extreme rock and roll mm. from, from the time of, I don't know, Elvis and Chuck Berry onward. And it, it heavy metal is an expression of that arms race. That's what Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath were was we win basically like we're the loudest, we're the biggest, we're the heaviest, you know, we're the most popular. And, and, and it, it goes through the new wave of British heavy metal and then through speed metal and thrash metal. And grindcore is this point where it, and this is another thing Sam misses. And I think this is what really hurts the series is he doesn't want to admit when, stuff is coming from the punk side because napalm yes. Death is yes. not a metal band yep. they are yep. a punk band and it's not because of the sound of the music it's because of the scene they came out of they came out of a punk scene they were punk guys and and the giveaway is the political lyrics they sound just like death metal because if your whole goal is i'm going to play as fast and heavy as i can and sing in the most guttural distorted macho way i can there's kind of one end of that road. You can only play drums so fast. The human ear can only hear beats so fast. I mean, blast beats yep. already don't sound like the tempo anymore. The tempo becomes the guitar riff because the blast beat is just a wash. And so Napalm Death, to me, went as far as you can go. And they did it as a joke at first. That's why they had two different lineups on their first album. You have one yep. side with one lineup, another lineup on the second side. But then everybody responds to it. They put the demo around and people like John Peel, who's the most respected DJ in England, going back to the 60s, is featuring Napalm Death on his shows. And it becomes this thing and it starts selling. Meanwhile, you've got death metal coming up in, in Florida and New York that kind of gets to the same place. And within a couple of years, you can't tell Napalm Death from Cannibal Corpse. I mean, you can, but they're playing the same, they're playing the same circuit. They're on the same record labels. They, they, you know, the t-shirts blend in together. The crowds kind of become one. By the time I got into Grindcore a couple years late, I was baffled. What's the difference between grindcore and metal? I mean, and death metal. And eventually I was like, oh, well, some of these bands were metal bands and some of them were punk bands, but they all ended up kind of in the same place. But, you know, with some differences. But anyway, to me... It's, 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 it's nice to hear you hear you ramble and not know what you're talking about, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I did finish. Did you want to jump in with your informed opinion? Um... Yeah, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, okay. I, I can so, hear you. I'm, I'm... Okay, so you know, my my, uh, I seem to be slow on my side. The image at least is slow. So, um, there has been an enduring mystery which I didn't share with the rest of you, and it's been bothering me for a long time. And I figured I could find the answer myself. I could find the answer myself, and the answer was finally provided for me in almost accidentally in this in this series. Um, and in this in this show, and I, I've been wondering like like Columbo. I've been kind of wandering around, going, yeah. But there's just one other thing. It's like, how come hardcore skipped the UK, right? I mean, it really did. It's like they, they might sing a different tune now. They had Oi, which is very different. It was you know rock steady ska reggae ska Oi. You know you had the Exploited, which was punk rock, but that whole 
uh, Youth of Today, uh, SSD, Minor Threat, all of that shit that was happening in 80, 81. And it's not like those guys were, weren't going over there. Black Flag went over, bombed, you know, over over to the UK. Bad Brains went over, bombed. They were the only ones, I think Teen Idols, maybe, I can't I can't remember. There's a Supreme Teen Minor Threat. Go. Yeah, they did go up. They went to LA. They they tra- they got yeah. in a van and went to LA, but they didn't. They never made it over to. And I go, how would they miss it? And I think what happened is it was like it was like hand hand like like they went like if you listen to Napalm Death, those guys clearly heard hardcore, but used it as a, as a as a as a as a as a stepping stone to where they thought it was going. And just never felt the need to luxuriate it, luxuriate it uh, in it like the, the Americans. Even when Agnostic Front plays the UK now, and they're still, you now I'm friends with the guys in the band, and they're still hugely popular. Like Slapshot will play over in. They're not playing, and the venues that they're playing in the UK are not are not the same kind of venues they play in, say, uh, Japan or Germany, where hardcore is like hardcore as a very specific stylistic thing is lionized. You know, they play huge festivals in Germany. It would be insane given that you remember, know how they started out, but not in the UK. And it and I think Napalm Death, uh, you know, which went from, di- you think the line from Discharge to Napalm Death, like the fastest band in the world in my mind. And GBH, Hus- you just spotted the home was, too. What, 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 what was Husker do? Was Husker do? We played with GBH, and I have to say, GBH was not a hardcore band. They were a punk band. I don't give a shit what anybody says. So, you know, um, so it's just interesting. What, what they, about Discharge? Kind of, do you consider Discharge hardcore? Um, Dis- Discharge was on, on the far-flung edge of hardcore. If you remember when they came up, you know, like like there were sections of America that had, would have nothing to do with them, Right. Like the Boston scene, they didn't give a shit about that, you know. When you came to California, we, we, you know, I saw a discharge play, I think, with Motorhead, you know, and that's something that wouldn't have flown in Boston at all either, right? So mm. I, I think that, I think, I think that uh, they, it's not like hardcore missed them, it's just that they moved beyond hard, hardcore much faster than we did here in America. So it seems yeah. like, yeah, anyway, I, it's, it's sort, been... sort of solved the mystery for me. And, and and this is something I've been attacking on multiple fronts because my whole techno roll series, which I knew jack shit about dance music until I did, did the you know years of podcasting and research about it. But the British metal audience, I mean, Britain goes from the home of Led Zeppelin, the home mm-hmm. of Iron Maiden, the the new wave of heavy metal. I think if it hadn't been for MTV, very well could have been the kings of rock. Like they produced so many heavy bands in the early 80s not just Def Leppard and Iron Maiden but you know Praying Manus and Tigers of Pantang and Diamond Head and on and on and on there were so many of them they could have kept going but MTV came along and pushed the glam thing and wanted nothing Mm. to do with them and that I think killed sort of the, the grassroots British metal scene the punk scene got not killed but it mostly went synthesizer you know, mm. like like so much of post-punk was synthesizer oriented. And, and, and you know, like talking to John Savage, it was kind of alarming to me how dismissive he was of American hardcore. Because in, in Britain, if you weren't on the synthesizer tip, you were just a square, old school, laggard rockist. And, and it's, it's funny that you should mention that because that was one of the first major, like, 
when Sham 69 came back on tour, I, it was a little bit late for me to still be going. I was like maybe 84, 85. I was like, but I got to see that. I got to see that. I got, and they came to America with synthesizers. And before they'd even made it out to the West Coast, people were like, what the fuck? So we did not go to the show when they made it out to the West Coast. And as far as I know, the tour was a miserable failure. Wow. Yeah. So even great guitar bands like the Gang of Four and the Clash by the mid '80s have gone synthesizer. Like big idea. I mean, Combat Rock is pretty much synth rock. Sandinista is pretty much synth rock. Yeah. Then you have the the Acid House explosion, which in Britain was this massive pop cultural revolution. Huge. That, as huge. far as I can tell, killed metal in Britain forever, essentially, yeah. as yeah. a major groundswell. Because a lot of these yabos, you know, these street brawl and soccer hoodlums suddenly take ecstasy and and discover dance music and it's all over you know for a whole yep. generation well, they never had they, they, dance music dance oh. music and they had dances that you could do extremely high that little that little kind of walking thing they did you have to be good to do that you just have to be no no and, and, and no the, disco the, wow that's wild and the that's secret even disco though even the secret the secret of disco like Andy Warhol was watching some documentary with him he was like i realized nobody was watching me everybody's dancing yeah. they're not watching me just move yeah. around nobody gives yeah. shit. Yeah. and 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 that's what kind of acid house happened but in britain they had some discos but they never had like a studio 54 type massive scene and they had this thing in called Germany, Northern yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and they were doing this weird thing where they were into old motown and stacks records throughout the 70s like mm. really obscure fortune records or like you know all these sub motown stuff or motown b-sides and and that's where their dance club scene was going all through the 70s or at least in the north and you just didn't have disco and so when it hit in the late 80s it was just an atomic bomb that completely changed the game i I don't want i don't want to be i don't want to be look you know (laughs) one of the things that was cool about that is if you went to if you ever went to any acid house shows there were tons of women there Mm. And you and you look at yeah. you, you look at you look at the extreme grindcore thing and the audiences as the totally like being sausage man. fest. Yeah, man. Exactly. I, don't say, that, I don't say that's a bad thing, but it's kind of a bad thing. Well, it it, it limits your scene, and and that to me is what extreme metal is is the culmination of this quest for let's make the most extreme music you can make with bass drums and guitar and vocals. And I really don't think you can take it much further than Napalm Death took it originally like if you look at what somebody like death did not the detroit punk proto-punk band but the 70 the 80s death metal 80s 90s 2000s florida death metal band they start out pretty comparable to napalm death or more like repulsion or possessed that kind of early death metal eventually by the end of their run they're melodic death metal so they're adding melody to it and stuff not they're not doing you know 30 second songs of screaming blah, like napalm death is and it's over so um you know so i i mean to me this should be the last metal episode but like new metal and stuff that all comes later that's kind of post metal i i think i think mm. that that even though these were kids that they got called new metal because nobody else wanted them kind of i mean they they, they i think saw themselves as a tool kind of post metal mm-hmm. post alternative metal heavy band but because they're white trailer trash redneck yokels from you know fresno Stockton. and shitholes like yeah, that yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 and iowa um 
people you know people are still holding that, their nose i mean insane clown posse got the same reaction in their mm. hip-hop not really but they're it's about who your crowd is and so you know and we'll talk about black metal next time but to me i mean um you know like in this episode they cover venom and, and celtic frost which i think should have been covered with thrash mm. because that was just yeah, yeah, european yeah, yeah, yeah. Thrash. and i think the thing we miss that, that when we talk about thrash and glam was thrash and glam were just the pop side of metal and the underground side of metal, you know, it, it, it was, it was, there was tons of crossover and glam was the ones that had girls coming to the shows and thrash was the ones that didn't. And so if the thrash guys wanted to meet girls, they had to go to the glam shows. So, but also I think that the, the point is that things like Hellhammer and Celtic Frost and Venom were different than things like Metallica and Slayer. But at the time, if you were a thrash fan, and we were calling it speed metal and thrash and, and yep. you know, it wasn't like the terminology wasn't locked down, but bands like possessed, that's now seen as death metal. They were playing in San Francisco on the same bills as Exodus and Testament and Metallica. I mean, the, the scene was, yep. it was just extreme metal. What's this fucked up crazy shit, you know? And thrash got really codified yep. because you had Metallica and, and Slayer and Anthrax and, you know, they did things a certain way and they got really successful. And then there were all these bands that exactly copied the Metallica formula. So anything that didn't copy the Metallica formula became something else. And that's, you know. But there's, but there's this categorization disease that I think is really endemic. Mm-hmm. I, remember, I remember when going on tour in Europe, when there, there started to be a specific tone around people talking to me about noise. And it wasn't even a noise rock at this point. He said, well, you play noise. And I go, where do you, oh, you Oh, I see a genre has been created under Oxbow, Melt Banana. But I guarantee you the people in Oxbow, Melt, maybe Melt, Melt Banana, yeah, but Jesus Lizard, Quee, some of these bands converge. We're not thinking about this as noise. That's not what, you know. I, I, it's, so the, and and it, what's interesting about that is because that was done for people who had to find some place to put their records in a record store, right? The guy in the band, he said they they they, they, they gave it credit to the drummer in that band. He came up with grindcore. There was no grindcore before that drummer. I forget which kid it was who, who said came up with grindcore, right? So now they now they have a slot for it. But did, do you need that now? I don't know. I don't need it, but it's affected our thinking permanently. So um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the genre is something post done post facto by people out. Yeah. as a rule yeah. i mean sometimes yeah. there's bands that have like this aesthetic ideology and you know we're forming a movement in the scene but that's pretty rare and you know but death metal did coalesce into this thing in florida where there's more sound studios uh in tampa yeah. and and yeah. all these bands would get produced there even napalm death goes over to florida eventually to get produced by them and that's kind of like the moment in animal farm when the pigs and the farmers you can't tell them apart at the very end you know where the the revolutionary pigs have become just like the farmers they overthrew at the end of the day, the punk metal thing, to me, resolves in Napalm Death and Cannibal Corpse recording very similar albums in the same studio at the same time, playing in the same venues, playing on the same circuit. You know, one group was on Earache and one was on Roadrunner, but that was pretty much, you know, kind of the whole difference. And and where metal goes from here, we'll talk about next time, is black metal, which is this reaction to death metal by people who mm-hmm. like the same crap crap is yeah. the wrong word um, who like the same stuff and, and hey I can say this because Celtic Frost is my favorite band of all time I think maybe at least in my top five so um, you know the, this yes that remind, reminds me of a time I was hanging out with Tom at the Kilby Festival in Switzerland 
And... I'm sorry, what were you saying about, what were you saying about that, man? <laughs> they <laughs> also did... I, I, I played with Napalm Death or Jezu or when I when Justin Bardwick came on stage with me and Stephen O'Malley from well, uh, Sun So you could pop that too if you wanted to. I think that'd be fun. This was, hey, this was, the, this was the one had the most people I knew in it. I'm like, oh, oh shit, there's Dave Whitty. Oh, shit. It's like, it was just weird to see people you know. Because, of course, you know, in two years, because this was made, given when it was made, they look much older than the last time I saw them. So I was kept sitting there going, dude, 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 look at you. It's, it's going around. Don't look at me. Like the thing they didn't mention in the show, even Celtic Frost put out a hair metal album. Like Cold yes, Lake. I, I can remember when that arrived and, and there were Jaws my little circle of freaks were eagerly anticipating the new Celtic Frost album. And, you know, it, it was, <laughs> I, listen, let me, tell, let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you something that Tom was a fucking great guy. I don't say that easily and I don't say that often, but he was a really sweet fellow. I liked him. So he's not dead. Is he? No, he's talking about, I'm talking about hanging out with him at the kill beef festival. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, when, when we when we come back, we'll talk more about the the end of the road of, of metal and the black metal reaction. And we can't let go. <laughs> Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And now, a word from our sponsors.
time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and once again, I'm joined by a pair of reprobates we call Alexi Old <laughs> and Eugene S. Robinson, but I'm going to try to finish the show anyhow. Hey, folks. <laughs> you, mean, you, Actually, you, mean, you mean reprobates. I, it, something like that. Actually, I screwed it all up because I'm supposed to say, and we're back to continue our discussion of extreme metal. I, I did an extra introduction at no extra cost. So that's the kind of bargains you're getting on this show. So we talked about the first half of extreme metal but we actually kind of did a lot of backtrack. So I want to just quickly run through the structure of the first half of the show, just so people listening know how Dunn structured his extreme metal episode. First, he talked about Venom and Hellhammer and Celtic Frost or Celtic Frost, which is kind of the European edge of thrash um, that he had neglected on the thrash episode. And he has to talk about that because those were primary influences on black metal. Then he talks about Napalm Death and Grindcore, then he talks about Carcass, who evolve into melodic grindcore. And then we get to where we are now, which is Florida death metal, which leads to what Alexi called offline the good stuff, which is black metal. And the reason I was mad at you before was when you wouldn't watch the black metal documentary. Oh, Jesus you, Christ. What you this is this like? Just wait, wait, just, just enough. <laughs> I knew Alexi would, would dig it. It's a, it's a big story. But first, death metal, Florida. It's basically the same stuff as grindcore, except instead of political lyrics, it's all horror movie and gore lyrics, which at the time was shocking. Although now it seems a bit corny, I think. Um, uh, hey, man, not coming from Florida. <laughs> although the best death metal band was from upstate new york from the buffalo rochester area which was cannibal course that i saw live and having been freaked out by um one of their cds that my roommate had when i saw him live it was it was horrifying like that singer was one of the scariest performers i've ever been in a room with and at the end of that tour the rumor was the band slapped a restraining order on him because he was so out of hand but Eugene, any personal death metal revelation experiences? Did you know any of these cats? Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, who, who, who's? I, oh man, this is too good. I, I actually have an issue of decibel here with guys. I mean, th- these were the ones where I knew the greatest number of people uh, in them, as well as the greatest number of people in bands who I, I, I actively refused to embrace and understand initially. And my first intro to it for you heads out there will be a, uh, a Fresno band called Meat Shits. I don't know if you, you remember the Meat Shits, but they um, their claim to fame, and when I really started paying attention to them, is they put out a seven-inch record with 700 songs on it. 700? Like, and what year was this? This had to be, let's see... Uh, I had just socially met my first wife. So we're talking somewhere in the 80s, right? In the late 80s. So this is early grindcore. Sort of, but they were doing some stuff. Subject matter-wise, it, it, they were just a strange band, and they were probably my entry into listening to stuff out of Florida. And, of course, that was a time when I was dealing with a lot of serial killers, like John Wayne Gacy, who was trying to sell his paintings through my store, Charles Manson, who was technically not a serial killer, and uh, Ed, Ed, yeah, Ed Kemper and uh, uh, Mullen as well. Serial killer. And, and killer. so Florida had become a focal point, as well as having a friend who had been picked up by a serial killer in Florida, and that was, you know, activated her being 
flipping out and said, I'm done with Florida and coming back to California. Um, and so their lyrics never struck me. It didn't strike me as, as kind of like uh, what it later became, like just kind of regurgitated uh, giallo, uh, you know, uh, you know, just kind of horror movies. It just struck me as like stuff that was ripped from the headlines if that's the world that you were in. And because of that, I thought it was a lot more, or it was on par with a lot of the gangster uh, hip hop, which went, you know, hand in hand with re- very real drive-by shootings in LA and such. It wasn't, it didn't become the whole corpse painting thing that, 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 that later. Well, that's a whole different subgenre. Is it that's subgenre? Is we'll get to. Yeah. How, how, however, introduced to me by a guy who is these are all i don't know how at the time you got to figure there's no internet so it was my algorithm was a guy who i really liked said hey you should listen to this and then it it was like christmas treat off of there so cannibal corpse is great um and uh i think their side drummer at one point was a guy who i who i'd come to know um and paid attention to uh but you know the one problem i had with it was it was super, super mood specific. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what I, I, found. By which I by By which I mean, you had to be in a very specific yeah. mood. You have to, to be in a death metal mood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And 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 you kind of feel for kids that are in that mood all the time. I mean, that's, yeah, man. you know, and yeah, I've known, man. I've known those kids, but also, you know, just like doing this project and going back to music and playing it in front of my kids, playing all kinds of random historical music in front of my kids. It's hard to sell hardcore punk and metal to kids on a sunny day on a Saturday. They're like, what is this crap? You know? And, and, and that was kind of striking. Like when the bad brains were not an immediate popular favorite, I was kind of like shocked, but then I was like, Oh, well it's so fast and, and angry and everything. And this stuff, they definitely hate this stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but, but there's, you know, different variations on it. Um, but you know, that they also had in the Florida scene, the Florida bland, bands proper, I mean, there was Death, which they talk about. Give a big shout out to Chuck Schuldiner of Death, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. to me is kind of the coulda, woulda, shoulda of this genre. If anybody was going to make this stuff big and popular, it was going to be him, the mm-hmm. musical genius. He goes on. Some people really love him. Tim Bissell, the writes for Bloody Elbow. This is his favorite artist of all time. Mm-hmm. Definitely went on to do melodic or prog death metal by the end of his career, but he couldn't keep a band together, apparently. And I don't know what, I've never heard any real stories about what a dick was, but if he was a dick or what, but he could not keep a band together. And that's usually a sign of some kind of, yeah, it's know. a sign, man. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. he, he constantly had to, had to rebuild from scratch, which kind of, I think helps slows down your forward momentum. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thrash and death metal were coming out of the same scene. I mean, like, you know, repulsion and, and, um, but, but this is, this is the thing that this is, this is, the thing that you learn, this is the thing you learn that these cats, they're not, I mean, this is for me, who's always a bear for authenticity. You actually meet some of these guys like Robert Deatherage, who was the, the meat shit guy. You meet some of these guys. And at first you're like, huh, uh, this is a good stick. And probably five minutes in, you realize this is no stick. Yeah. Like, this is like, no, these, these are like whatever yeah. damage that they're carrying with them is very fucking real. And it's 24 hour day stuff, you know? Um, yeah. Yes. No. I mean, I, some I'm of them, the ones anti- I've had. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and like, we didn't talk about anal cunt, but, but in that grindcore yeah. documentary that, that I, I tried to get you guys to watch, like that was the main story. Cause to me, that was like the guy who took the Don Rickles joke. He took punk rock, yep. Johnny rotten shtick to the logical end of a, full-time Don Rickles joke that was way, you know, an X-rated racist uh, Don Rickles joke. I saw them. 
on 9-10-2001 with a whole set list of Islamophobic songs. And it was a horrible fiasco. Like the singer hit the guitar player with a mic and busted his head open. Some guy in the crowd that was a known psycho uh, hit the singer with a beer bottle and the beer bottle, the singer chased him all over the club with a broken beer bottle. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was, it was classic. Uh, I'm just laughing because. And the next day, you know, when 9-11 happened. Go ahead. No, I did. Seth Putnam gave me an anal cunt shirt, right? Which has got the 666s six, on it, and the three leaf clover, and the swastika inside. <laughs> and I would forget that I had it on and just wear it outside, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and like, I go, man, everybody's so cranky today. I'd be at the bank at the supermarket. Man, everybody. And I hadn't made the connection to the shirt because to me, it was just a shirt. And I was swore to God, my ex-wife hid the shirt from me. And I was like, look, so I would stop wearing it right when I had kids. Yeah. So I haven't seen that shirt for since Putnam gave it to me. And then I found it like three months ago. I was like, ah, she did. She did. Hide. And I, I, I had it and I took a picture of, uh, of now my, I think my, as she was at the time, almost two-year-old daughter with the, you know, with the, you know, sure. and, put, and, put, and put it up. She can't read, so it's okay. Yeah, so, it's, it, oh, it's uh, okay. It, it, he yeah, was, he, but, I, I, I'm sorry, I thought he was hilarious, but, you know. He was and he wasn't, but as, as my buddy who went to the show with me that night, when 9-11 happened the next day, he was also my roommate, he was like, I feel like we started that because that show was so Islamophobic. <laughs> A beacon. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, you know, my, my take on grindcore and death metal is that both of them are the logical end of what you can do with heavy metal and what you can do with punk. And they've come basically to the same point. I mean, yep. at the end of the day, Napalm Death and, and Morbid Angel were like the pigs and the farmers at Animal Farm. You couldn't tell. Yep. You, you yep. saw them in the same shows and everything. And, and you know, you talk. I know you're in a hurry to get to black metal, Alexi. So, so uh, I was wearing a black very appropriate but no corpse paint and yet no corpse paint and so the other thing i did sure? want to <laughs> he's got it on his nuts he put corpse paint all over his nuts <laughs> i did want to mention scott burns at morris sound because that was why it was the florida scene because there really wasn't an audience there there was an audience in rochester for cannibal corpse or buffalo i can't remember which one it was but but in the florida scene it was like all dudes living in you know those storage spaces u-haul places because there was a studio more a sound that could get that sound and it was a clean sound for this kind of music although it had that clicky little double bass drum but you could you could hear it real well but it didn't have that you know feel but you know they, they do talk about scott burns and more sound and then they talk about cannibal corpse and basically how cannibal corpse got really popular because of bob dole denouncing them and because of a cameo in um ace ventura did you, you saw ace ventura right Alexis? Yeah, yeah 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 yeah. was that your first exposure to death metal like most of us no i had no. um i i ran into some death metal people back in the day that. Well, do you want to tell uh, yeah, well, there was Bob, and 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 and, 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 and there was and Jimmy, Randy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Gary. Yeah. Uh, well, so, but but you know, they basically talk about that how how Cannibal Corpse never signed with a major label, and that was a band that was never going to go major label. But Ace Ventura, because Jim Carrey liked him, that took that leapfrogged it, and then the bob dole thing and they definitely had that air of authenticity i think i think some of these bands like deicide you know branding his forehead with an upside down cross and everything for five minutes he had that but then it kind of 
kind of became a shtick because the next wave of guys who came along totally made these guys look like posers and yet they were the king posers of all time and we're talking about norwegian black metal which sam dunn has handled the burning the church burnings and the murders and the suicides in his other movie a little bit and he stayed away from that here and just wanted to talk about the music which inevitably i don't know alexi what was your take on 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 the the black metal doc and like well the thing that blew my mind about the black metal doc was you know coming towards the end of the dunn series it was harder and harder and harder to for me to relate because look at the time wasn't listening to that kind of music. It wasn't my demographic at all. And then when I saw the black metal Norwegian doc, what blew my mind was the kind of tones and things that were really attracting Norwegian youth to black metal are the same kind of things that attracted me and a lot of other kids to revolutionary music that was cut against the cultural and 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 and, and the cultural like uh, uh, norms right so yeah you know, you're kind of accustomed to like in terms of listening to politicized music in terms of seeing how for instance bob marley and the whalers how that whole notion of revolution and anti-colonialism really appeals to non-white peoples like in the diaspora but to watch something of a similar vein occurring like in Norway, right? This whole fear and revulsion of this machine that was coming to take over your culture and dominate your culture. And the fact that they were referencing like, oh, look at what you look at McDonald's and what the Judeo-Christian, not so much anti, you know, not anti-Judeo-Christian or laced with anti-Semitism, but America, right, which it was, but the whole notion of colonialism and this whole external force coming for you and look at what they did in Africa and look what they did in Asia and look what they did in the Americas and they're coming for us. And it just blew my mind because at the time in which I was younger and listening to super politicized music, I would have never guessed that the similar kind of sentiment Right. But again, not laced with anti-Semitism. Right wing version. Right. Right. That 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 kind of thing occurred in Europe of all places. So it the thing that it really uh, um, captured for me also was in terms of my age and the fact that you just constantly see these forces and these influences kind of corrupting the youth. Right. You know, just coming through people having issues, different kinds of things and showing them, hey, look, there's another way of living and, and, and you're not alone. And, and so being disaffected and just realizing that's why near the second half of the metal series, it was, wasn't part of my demo or what I was caring for because either I aged out or from a racialized perspective, you know, the whole new metal thing, like no offense to it, it's just white guys rapping and culturally appropriating stuff, right? So yeah. it was interesting at the end for the black Norwegian metal, it's like, okay, the whole kind of tones and notes that I'm seeing, which are hitting minority kids all over the world is hitting Norway too. But again, yeah. the, the right, the far right, that's the difference, the far right anti-Semitism, which weren't parts of any of the thing I was listening to or, or people I knew were into. It was just fascinating to Professor see that. Drift, but... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> who my cousin, David Mills, busted. He was the one that did the interview uh, with him, like when he was working for the Washington Times, when he said the Jews and jewelry. And the funny oh thing God. is, when David Mills came to Howard, 
because uh, I was a student at that point, you know, he was coming on campus to do some time of debate. And he was like, yeah, Lexi, I'm going to be on campus on so-and-so day. You're going to be there? I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be right there, David. <laughs> <laughs> I, want to, I want to get the title of the movie we're talking about. It was Until the Light Takes Us from 2008. Yeah. And like I got introduced to it by The Lords of Chaos, the Michael Moynihan book about black metal in the later 90s. Although I remember the Kerrang cover. I remember looking at that Kerrang cover that had um, – Varg Vickerness from Burzum and with his swords and everything and you know arson death murder but my thinking at the time was that criminal bands aren't any good because my experience in the punk scene had been generally the bands that were murderers or whatever kind of sucked uh, at screwdriver the Nazi English band like although their first pre-Nazi album I think is really good you ever heard that one I like I, I, I liked Fang Fang was good, but that was a that he murdered his girlfriend in like a domestic violence thing. But no, it wasn't domestic violence. It was. It dr- wasn't. It, it was drug drugs. related. Okay, yeah. well, there, there, she, there were there were dealers, and they yeah. she and a friend tried to rob them. So I thought you were yeah. about Facebook, Apple, Netflix, and Google. <laughs> that too, but anyway, it's a high tech joke. Yeah. Hey, when I did read Lords of Chaos, and I started to real just from the visuals, you could tell these guys had something going on. And then when you like, I got in, you know, bought the CDs to check them out and stuff, and like realizing that like the worst ones were the most talented ones. That you know, the guy in Emperor murdered a guy in a gay, you know, a homophobic killing. The guy in Burzum and Mayhem were doing all these arsons. Then the guy in Burzum murders the guy in Mayhem. The guy in the and the guy who started though, the guy that they don't talk about or even mention is Per Ingve Olin, aka Dead. He's where the Slipknot guy got the whole huffing the dead bird in the plastic bag thing. Mm-mm. This kid had this critique of modernity that was very like H.P. Lovecraft to me because he he should have been dead. Like if, if it was pre-1970, he would have been dead. But he came mm-hmm. along just as the technology to cure whatever condition he had as a child came along. And he felt like he had been cursed, that he should have died as a baby and that he hated life completely. He worshiped death. You know, he, he would huff uh, rotten crows, you know, in bags. He would bury his stage outfits under the ground and, and, and wear them, which the Slipknot guys totally copped. But And then he kills himself, and his asshole band leader takes pictures of his brain spilled out, and, you know, later it's used on bootleg, makes necklaces out of fragments of the skull, uh, allegedly ate part of the brain, and tells everybody, you know, and then gets murdered by his bass player, because this whole, I mean, basically they bought the act. It's again, another thing like in, the anal cunt guy took the Don Rickles insult thing. And, absolutely and, and for Don to leave the yeah. best thing, you're talking about anal cunt, you're talking about this, like, why are you leaving this out of your show and instead well, having other Anal cunt, you got the name and they never had any, I mean, they were very, they had some audience, but I mean, and when I saw them, I mean, like their amps were the size of suitcases. Like it was not like a compelling, you know, it wasn't like one of the great rock and roll shows of my life, although it was one of the greats for you know, rock nightmare experiences. But ain't no cunt sitting around going like I, butthole surface. I don't get it. How come they're hanging out with starlets? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Well, <laughs> the, the, uh, what, what many of you don't know is all of the time I spent extensively in Norway. You don't know that, right? You, you don't, you know, in fact, the studio... The, the Norwegian studio that was run, um, that was like to to that black metal scene, what more sound was to to death metal. I, I didn't know that that I I was the, I was friends with dude's daughter 
who was completely well-adjusted, some, you know, very attractive, like blonde, you know, healthy, not even really into oxbow music, but it was through a friend of hers that we met. And she goes, oh, yeah, my father runs a studio. I go, what studio? He names the studio. I go, oh, my God, that's your father. Exceedingly normal kind of Nor- Norwegian guy. And in fact, the guys from Enslaved, Ivar had wanted me to sing on one of the upcoming records. And I said, well, I don't really sing that metal shit that you do. He's like, no, no, it's the emotional quality that I want. Mm. He, he corralled me at South by Southwest in Austin and talked to me about it. And and my take on the whole Norwegian scene, a, a few, it's, it's it, it, by the end you will be, oh, there's old crazy Eugene. I didn't see him at the beginning, but then I, by the end, you'll, you'll get. And one thing I, I discovered, one about Scandinavians, is that it's with especially Norwegians that they're. This is I'm generalizing, but they're super shy, mm-hmm. and so where where they where they interact, and they've been able to track this via say the rape rates. Um, they interact with alcohol, right? So bars and so without that, there's like no social comfortability at all. So you take people that are fundamentally shy, also a country that has no serious colonial past, but were at heart. Yeah, they conquered Europe. They, they were never conquered by Europe. Right, right. So, except culturally, like the Christianity thing came over, and then, and then. I'm, the I'm, I'm thinking. Over, I'm so. think. I'm thinking more like the Danish, and this is why you've had the Jimmy McKesson, the right wing guy in in Sweden, where I know right minded people who are like, no, you know, not Andreas Breivik types, but are like, look, you don't understand what's happening here. We have this pre modern religion that's settled on Stockholm, and in the summertime you know, a culture that was very comfortable with nudity. These, these are women are getting raped by, by Islamic guys. Because they refugees that, and yeah, that, yeah. That, that they're all whores. So there's this whole weird sexual undercurrent of, I can only activate when I'm, I'm drunk, you know, um, and the dudes here, are, you know, with a little bit of game who are not radicalized Islamists are coming and stealing our women. The fuck, there's nothing left for me. I'm out of pace with this world and the political powers that be ties into the anti-Semitism. So it's the same thing that activates men in their 20s all over the fucking world. This idea of being excluded and left out. And this one, you know, they just chose to act out in a very particular, you know, Norwegian yeah. way because they weren't burning shit in in, in in uh in stockholm so um uh but all in and all both, the, the the music wasn't bad until suddenly it was right <laughs> well yeah i mean they, they had a run um the the uh shit the um black metal thing fuck i had a total blank so i can't remember what i was gonna say but um the the yeah oh the it's it's very international too though it's a it's a it was massive in the favelas at one point in yep. South America yep. it's big in South Africa but death metal is big but more in rural Africa from what I can figure out mm-hmm. like Botswana mm-hmm. there's a whole Botswana mm-hmm. death metal scene yep. it's interesting yep. watching stuff echo and ripple around um, but the the other thing about black metal to me is it's the first time that metal went lo-fi like metal yeah. was always about clean and precise and it's that whole 12 year old boy i'm going to play the fastest and the best and the most accurate and these were the first guys that figured out the power of sloppy from yeah. the metal so, i mean jim Page knew the power of sloppy but i'm talking you know and then yeah, yeah. but but where they made a whole aesthetic of it from the album covers because the death metal guys were paying artists like ten thousand fifteen thousand dollars to paint these incredible paintings yeah. that would be their album covers you know and stuff um but they did show the interest in satanism and um this you know the the original norwegian scene i mean literally burned out because most of the people were going to jail and then and then you know the ones that didn't 
like Dark Throne and others, Emperor, you know, well, one of the guys Emperor went to jail. Well, let's, let me tell you, the Norwegian prisons, man. Look up Bastoy Prison, please. Oh, yeah. Um, Varg Vickers yeah. is the maximum prison time possible. And it was like, you know, country club, and he's already yeah, been out man. for 10 years, you know. Yeah, and man. And Andres Bred- Bredovic, who's one of the most dangerous people alive, he's yeah. going to be out, I think, yeah. which is scary. But, yeah. you know, but then, then, you know, so they kind of, they talk about the early black metal. They talk about the aesthetic stuff only, which I think is fairly smart. He, we're going to talk about the music and not get sidetracked on all the violence. Stuff. Then he talks about Demi Borger and Cradle of Filth, who are the people who totally monetized it, which yeah. that's when this stuff became goth girl music, you know? And, and at the, I remember in the 2000s when I was first learning about this stuff, I had this whole feeling like, wow, metal and goth, like, flipped audiences at some point because mm. you know bro stuff was coming along at that point and all the meathead kids were like into this techno music and then the the the, the metal people were you know into into the corpse paint it was goth girls basically you know and and goth boys too but you know follow and, follow and, the drugs and, and, but elaborate what what drugs were i don't know i think if you follow the drugs that might explain the shift somehow you know maybe so I maybe mean, so i mean i, I, I mean I was introduced to black metal in a super significant way by who, uh, the man you might know as Rest uh, from Leviathan. And uh, this was Jeff Whitehead, who was a tattoo guy and did, did a lot of tattoo work on me. And he'd be playing it when he'd be checked. I'd go, this is shit. That's what it started out as. And then I was like, hey, put that shit on again. <laughs> and then I go, who is it? And then he revealed to me that it was him. And I've always, from his initial band that I was exposed to was uh, uh, Gift Horse, which is a band he was into after a boner band called, I think he was in Bomb, uh, if you mm-hmm. remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, claimed yeah, yeah. F- yeah. And um, and what I liked about it was his complete and total refusal to be interested in my interest at all. <laughs> like, I go, man, I can't, I can't read the cover. What is this? I can't. So just read. He just, he just did it absolutely, absolutely didn't give a shit. I go, the song titles are like 30, 30 sentences. Like, he's like, it's just, it is, as it, it is as it was, which I said, all right, cool. This music is not designed to appeal to me at all. So I've become a steady listener of, uh, you have this picture of my kid playing keyboards to, uh, to Leviathan. I, 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 I love it. And he didn't seem especially enamored of the religious aspect of it all. It was just like the paint and the, uh, it was just that's what i'm doing that's what yeah but the symphonic know. thing was in yeah. the this stuff from the beginning i'm emperor in yeah. particular but also dark throne and so it was easy for demo borger and cradle of filth who are you know very talented musically and stuff to yeah. hone that now so it was the same thing that kind of happened with um melodic grindcore and, and stuff where you know musicians get more time and money and they make cleaner yeah. prettier sounds and and kind of the opposite but then then he talks about enslaved who was always kind of one step removed from the they were right in the thick of the black metal scene but they were pagan not satanic and mm. and very shrewdly kept themselves out of felony country and they are one of the groups that also you can tell what dunn likes he's an iron maiden guy iron maiden or prog metal i mean there are many other things but they were very prog influenced and and so he gives them big points for going prog towards the end of their career then he talks about gojira which is a pretty interesting band that was new to me. Um, French, environmental, more modern. The, the younger metal dudes that work for me and stuff, I, all, of them, all of them gave these guys big thumbs up. So I'm going to check them out further. But I wanted to get to Dunn's final thoughts before we wrapped. 
as metal continues to grow, which I'd argue it's dead, but it done, done doesn't, the spirit of metal lives on the extreme metal underground. It resists the mainstream and pushes metal to the edge. And for this reason, may be the most important subgenre in metal's evolution. I have to agree with him on that. I think that the most extreme stuff is the stuff most likely to be remembered because it's unique and it has passionate fans. So, <clears throat> yeah. So I think that's that's our show and our series. The, the punch only survived it. I nearly fired everybody, including myself. But oh, Jesus Christ. You I with do. this thing. You're like such a child. One of my favorite bands, and Alexi was totally dissing him. I mean, it's like, dude, this is my favorite band. But this stop, is stop. Rage Against the Machine was one of his favorite bands. Was, and you dissed him. He just zipped slip. And I was like, dude, give me the content. Because there was man. enough time. We got another show to do afterwards. If we were yeah. able to just run our mouths just like we do on my yeah. show, we would have talked yeah. about it. But I'm constantly looking at the clock, baby. <laughs> Actually, actually, we can't, we can't, because I got practice tonight at eight. Well, there we go. So wrap it up, so, Nate. Anyway, that's the the wrap of our Metal Evolution series. The punch only survived, and our plan next <laughs> is to talk about Jimmy Savile, who's actually a critically musically important figure, among other things. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Follow the Letter Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Roll Cast, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, we'll begin doing two weekly episodes of Let It Roll, and next Thursday, we'll feature a discussion with Brooks Long about the autobiography of legendary R&B producer Jerry Wexler, co-written by David Ritz. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.